1: This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Just as human biology is inevitable, so too are human words about development and growth. We talk about building and sustaining to defend and survive, and we talk about supporting and protecting for deeply selfish reasons tied to our biology. In Matthew, Peter's zeal when he proclaims, I will not deny you, is not for God's teaching or even his teacher's life. All he cares for is the victory of his tribe and the defense of his city against all enemies. All he cares about is himself defending the very community that Jesus proclaims must be broken and scattered for the remission of sins. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew chapter 26 verses 30 to 35. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos,
0: And this is Dr. Richard Benton.
1: And you are listening to episode 398 of the Bible as Literature podcast. Just last week, we were talking about the destruction of the body for the sake of the body politic of the Respublica, of the Commonwealth, of the Roman Republic. Jesus at the Last Supper, as we like to call it in the English language, spoke about the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood for the remission of sins, which is the destruction of those gathered to hear the teaching of his Father for the sake of the people who live in the neighborhood. Remember, we explained that if the gospel is fulfilled, what matters is not the continuation of the things we take credit for building because God didn't send us to build anything. What matters is that we do the commandments of God and we teach the commandments of God, which require us to take care of our neighbors, ultimately giving our life for the sake of the needy neighbor. So it's as though... Our churches, our religious communities, are being scattered, (laughs) being destroyed, and being scattered for the sake of the common good. That's interesting, Rich, when we consider the verses that follow the Lord's meal with the Twelve.
0: When you talk about the breaking of the body of Jesus and how that parallels the body of Christ, meaning the church in the way that we think about it, often people don't bring those together, that the body of Christ must be broken, that this is what we're commemorating, not just the body of Christ in Matthew, but the body of Christ in Paul is being broken. And I just had a discussion recently because there's a group I've been studying Ezekiel with the story in Ezekiel is about the king of Babylon working on behalf of God. When the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar attacks Egypt, God says that God's sword is in King Nebuchadnezzar's hand. This is his servant, his slave. And someone asked me about the eve of our 20th commemoration of 9-11. Well, then how are we supposed to understand 9-11? And I said, well, is not in the Bible. We are not in the Bible. But if we wanna take a teaching from the Bible that might apply to the situation we're in, the destruction of the Twin Towers is not lamented by God. We know that Jesus did not lament when the disciples talked about how beautiful the buildings were and he said they were gonna be destroyed. He just kind of shrugged and went on to talk about his thing, which was the main thing. In Ezekiel, God says specifically that when the city is destroyed and family members are killed, you are not allowed to mourn. You do not mourn. The only thing you lament is the fact that you yourselves stepped off the path that you were the ones who rebelled. And so the point of the destruction is to teach. It's to teach The teaching that is the path that lights the path, this is what we are to follow. So when Jesus is preparing for his death, for his destruction, the only point that God ever makes is that he's trying to teach that there is one source of life and that we are not to fear the power of death that may be in the hand of this ruler or that ruler. So Jesus' teaching is that. However, it's just too easy to be scandalized, to be pulled off the path and thinking that his destruction is the end of everything. It is not the end of everything. It is the beginning of our repentance and the beginning of hope for the next generation.
1: After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We spent some time earlier this year talking about the significance of The word mercy (laughs) and how it sounds similar to the word oil. And here it's Oroston Eleon. Anyone from Palestine or from Italy knows where oil comes from in the Mediterranean, from olives. In English, it's kind of a boring name, Mount of Olives. In Greek, it's quite beautiful. It's, yes, it's the Mount of Olives, but. It sounds
0: also like the Mount of Mercy. There's always this relationship when you bring up this word. When the hearer hears it, It sounds like oil, but it also sounds like mercy. Oil and olives, it's the same word because, you know, that's what you used olives for in the ancient world. In English, it just sounds like a place, like you were saying, Father. But there's this ring to it when it talks about mercy. You can't not hear it when they have sung their hymn and they're going out with Jesus. The mercy is the teaching that we have after the destruction for the next generation. We have to remember that. The teaching is for the next generation. That is God's point. God's point is not to raise up a generation. God's point is to raise up a generation so that we can teach them. We're not to build anything. We're supposed to spread a teaching.
1: Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. We just heard Jesus talking about the breaking of his body and the spilling of his blood. And now he is quoting Zechariah and the striking of the shepherd and the scattering of the sheep. It's unmissable, especially in context of all the destruction we've been hearing about throughout this section of Matthew, beginning with the fall of Jerusalem that this destruction, this, this difficulty, this trial, this judgment that we've been talking about, this time of temptation, this pirasmos from the Lord's Prayer is at hand. But this destruction of the body and this scattering of the sheep is to feed and to give life for the remission of sins. We must understand, and I mention the Lord's Prayer because the Lord's prayer is about forgiveness. And the Lord just preached about forgiveness when he was having his meal with the 12. But the forgiveness comes through the destruction of the body because you build up your own body politic by justifying yourself and condemning others. You serve the gospel by accepting God's judgment of you for the sake of others. There is a tension. Everything in life comes at a cost. Nothing is free. That's why the gospel is free of charge with a charge. We owe a duty always and everything. Paul explains that in Romans 13. Ultimately, if you are baptized, the duty that you owe God is to love your neighbor. And that duty comes at a high price here, in the Gospel of Matthew. Because we will see Jesus humble himself before Caesar as Paul commands in Romans 13, in order to pay his tax to God the Father, which is the love of neighbor, which means the destruction of his literal body, but more importantly, with respect to the teaching of the Gospel, the destruction of the body politic of his people for the sake of the commonwealth. So the sheep will be scattered. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Strike the shepherd, that the sheep may be scattered. So you can see it's clear in Zechariah how Matthew is applying this text to Jesus. It's not the Romans who crucified Jesus. It's not the Jews who crucified Jesus. It's the Lord of hosts who's going to strike the shepherd. That does not play well in your adult education class where people want to be reassured that God is a loving God. I will turn my hand against the little ones. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish but the third will be left in it. There's the famous remnant, Richard, that we were talking about earlier. And I will bring the third part through the fire. Refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is
0: my God. This idea of the refinement, of the scattering, of the bringing back, this is a constant theme throughout the Bible. Ever since Abraham was brought into the land, ever since Adam was cast out of the land, we have this cycle always repeating itself. The shepherd for Israel is their king, and that's always been the problem. It's very self-conscious that Moses is never called a king. God is the only king in The Midbar in the desert. He is the one who keeps them together. So the shepherd that they follow is struck down so they're scattered. But the true shepherd, which is the one whose voice is heard, is the one who brings them together. And in Ezekiel, this is really common, that he brings the people out so that they learn. And this is what it means to be the remnant, to be purified. The remnant and the one who is purified is the one that hears the voice of the teaching, which is what God is trying to do. Every generation, like I said, is to learn this teaching. That's what it is to be purified, is to no longer follow your own heart, but to follow the new heart that God gives you with his teaching already written on it. You get a template already. You know, you just install it, and it's already there. This is what Scripture does as it manifests through our ear, out our actions. Zechariah 13.7 "'Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts.'" He's saying that the shepherd that he put there, he's going to have to get rid of because the people are following him instead of the Lord. In this verse in Matthew 26, this is what Jesus says is going to happen. Unfortunately, every translation is misleading in my mind. In your translation, Father, you read, "'Fall away.'" I'm reading King James, which says, "'Be offended.'" But the word in Greek is scandalizo, which means to be scandalized, which we talked about this before. It means being pulled off the path or a stumbling block in the path that makes you trip as you're trying to follow the way. All of you are going to be tripped up because of me this night. You can't handle the truth. I've been teaching. I did my last gasp at teaching you. In chapters 24 and 25, I'm not sure any of this is going to take. I think you're all just going to abandon me and thereby abandon the teaching. But Jesus takes comfort. He's not personally offended that all of his students decided to drop his class at the last minute because the test was too hard. He takes comfort in that his father said, this is what's going to happen. The shepherd is going to be struck. The people are going to be scattered. This is the destruction of the body so that the remnant can be brought back, the ones who are not scandalized, the ones who want to follow the path and stay on the path, no matter what anyone in this world with the power of death might throw at them.
1: I appreciate you surfacing this point about this pattern throughout scripture, Richard, about the scattering and the return It's not a coincidence that we see this pattern emerge again just before the crucifixion because this is what the crucifixion is teaching us. This is why we are so critical of the language of industry, the language of the market, the language of construction, the language of building, the language of empire, and worse, the language of nation-state where we talk about building something. This text is not about building the church. It's about crucifixion. It's about the destruction of the temple. It's counterintuitive. It's not possible to digest. That's why, in Chrysostom's homily, (laughs) Jesus is the bitter pill that hell can't swallow. You can't digest this teaching. It doesn't assimilate. What we naturally want to do when we hear about destruction is insist that we'll rebuild. We hear that Jesus was killed. We will secure his legacy and build churches, but that's not what the gospel is asking of us. The gospel is commanding us to preach and to teach and to do the commandments of God, which demand of us that we be scattered, that it be spread, not us. Notice that the sheep are scattered so that the voice of the Lord of hosts may be heard, that his teaching may be heard. That's the idea. And whoever is gathered by his voice will be scattered again. I just i am so thankful that you brought that point out, Rich.
0: I mean, the sheep aren't scattered so that they can go build another flock because they need another shepherd. And If they just find a shepherd and decide to follow that, then that shepherd is a thief. Those sheep don't belong to him. They're only there until the shepherd comes along again and calls them, and then they come. That's it. They're to follow one voice. Wherever they are, whatever they're doing, there's one voice that they obey. And if another voice comes along, in John it says they don't even recognize the voice, so they don't listen. That's very optimistic. Actually, what it is is like, oh, that sounds like a really nice voice. Let me follow that one. But that's a thief. Those sheep don't belong to him. That is not the correct teaching. That person who is teaching, that voice you're hearing is not the voice of God because he doesn't own you. Only God owns you.
1: So, Father Mark, what does that mean for the Orthodox Church? It means that when you're at church, you should preach the gospel, teach the gospel, and do the commandments of the gospel. What does that mean for the parish council? It means that you should preach the gospel, teach the gospel, and whatever you do as a parish council, you better not transgress the gospel of God. But what does that mean when you're not a church? It means you better do what the gospel says. How about at work? Same thing. But as an Orthodox Christian, what does it mean at work? The same thing. You mean it's the same for Lutherans? Yes, we have to get past identity because Scripture is breaking our identity. The gospel is free of charge with a charge, and the price is crucifixion for the sake of our duty towards the Father of Jesus Christ. You can't even say for the sake of the common good, because the common good is not our purview. It is the purview of the Lord of hosts. We are to be scattered and struck down. That is what Matthew is saying, and nobody wants to talk this way. You know how they have those cutesy signs that people put up in front of the church why you should come to this church? Just put this on your church sign. The shepherd will be struck down so that the sheep will be scattered. Join us on Sunday.
0: (laughs) It ain't gonna work. All of you will be scandalized because of me this night.
1: All of you as in O-L-I-V-E or all of you? (laughs) That's not quite the same homonym as in Greek, but I like it, Rich. (laughs) (laughs) But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Why are you being scattered? Because his interest, remember the gospel is a public matter. It's not a Jewish matter. It's not a Greek matter. It's a Roman matter, which includes everybody. That is why the community of the 12 tribes is being scattered. That's what's happening. The gospel always undermines. It doesn't build community, it undermines community. It undermines your community for the sake of God's community, which is the people in the neighborhood that we were talking about last week. I keep coming back to Mr. Rogers. I guess I love Mr. Rogers. We grew up with Mr. Rogers, Rich. And he makes sense to me because he sees the beauty not of the people in his church, he sees the beauty of the guy who delivers the mail, the guy who works at the donut shop, the lady who works at the pet store, whatever. He sees the beauty of the people that appear in our daily lives because they are the ones who belong to God's community. And that is where Jesus will appear to gather the scattered, but those. Whom he gathers with the words of his father will not just be the twelve and not all of the twelve will be there when he gathers them it will be whoever is there in the empire who hears the words of the father those
0: will be the ones whom the lord calls my people jesus's body is going to be broken you can find him afterwards out among the gentiles in galilee If you want to continue to follow him well maybe not continue but follow him again once you've been scandalized and stopped following him you can go find him among the gentiles go there if you want to find him if you want to find jesus if you want to find his teaching you have to go to galilee of the gentiles that's where he's going to be he's not safe at home in your comfort zone that's not where he lives that's not where his teaching functions in chapter 25 He is the one you don't want to deal with. The one who's hungry, the one who's thirsty, the one who needs clothes, the one who's sick, the one who's in prison. That's where Jesus is. That is Jesus. He's not among them. He is them. And now he's saying he's among the Gentiles. That's where you have to go. So the community is broken. The body of Jesus is broken so that you can go and do Jesus' bidding so that you can follow his teaching, so that you can unscandalize yourself and begin to follow on the path again. Jesus was just
1: explaining that everyone is going to be scattered. And what does Pete say? But Peter said to him, even though all may be scandalized, to use the correct translation, Dr. Benton, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away if you have scriptural ears which hopefully our podcast listeners are beginning to listen or rather as father paul would say to hear scripturally and you hear this in context what you hear is peter's disobedience the lord just quoted his father's teaching i will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered and Peter is like not me (laughs) I'm not gonna be scandalized I'm not gonna be scattered I'm gonna stay right here and I'm gonna defend my tribe and my city right alongside Judas so if you think back to the meal with the twelve tribes are you sure that it's only Judah that betrays the Lord? Or does Judah just put a face on the betrayal? Kind of like the president representing a war. Is Judah the only one who ate with his hands? Come on friends, hear the word of the Lord. I'm not going to be scattered. I'm not going to be scandalized. I'm going to stand right here and defend my heritage and my people and my tribe and my city, even if it means betraying you, Jesus. That's what Peter sounds like to me, to my ears. But that's not how people hear this. What people say is, oh, Peter's intentions were good, Rich, but he fell away. No,
0: No, this is a terrible thing to say, Pete. Correct. And Matthew just heaps it on with Peter. If you note this same passage in Mark, all Peter says in Mark is, but not me. Here in Matthew, but I will never be scandalized. In Matthew, it even emphasizes more Peter's denial of Jesus's teaching. Like you said, Father, Peter is the one who is going to be scandalized, yet who fights as hard as he can not to be scandalized. He doesn't end up in any better situation. I was reading an article. It compared Peter, the rock, to the parable of the sower with the seed that fell on the stone, because the seed that falls on the stone, when the sun comes up, there is a scandal. It's scandalized, and no root is formed so it withers away. That Peter is the one who gets excited at first, but because there is no root, he's easily scandalized. So he's more easily scandalized than anyone else precisely because he has no root. The fact that he sprouts up so quickly and gets so excited does not prevent him from being scandalized. What could, what would have prevented him from being scandalized, is the roots. But Jesus in 24 and 25 tried to pull as many roots out of these disciples as he could over the course of two chapters, over the last teaching that he could finally influence them, and Jesus himself knew it wasn't enough.
1: Jesus said to him, (laughs) you start to kind of feel bad for Jesus. (laughs) Truly I say to you, that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What I hear is Jesus clarifying the folly of Peter's words. He's calling Peter out. Peter has already denied Jesus, and he's gonna deny him again. You just denied what Jesus preached. And now you're going to consummate the denial with the famous triptych where you seal the deal, just like at an orthodox baptism where you ask three times, do you renounce Satan? One more time. I'm not going to ask a fourth time. So tonight, Pete, you're going to say it three times what you've already said, but the deal will be sealed And you will not be able to hit the undo button. It will be recorded in this gospel for all time, for all to hear, that you denied me. Even if people hearing the gospel of Matthew can't hear the obvious that you just rejected what I preached, they'll get the message when you turn your back on me when I'm being executed. And then they'll still rationalize that you repented in the end and try to cover for you because that's what people do because they're covering for themselves when they preach. Human words. But if they stick to what's written in the gospel, there will be no place for you to hide, Pete. I really want people to understand that this gospel is much harder on Peter than it is on Judas. It's almost subterfuge, misdirection because Judah is a symbolic name, but Peter, the functional character, is Paul's nemesis. It's not good news for Pete here.
0: People struggle to see themselves in scripture. That's why I had this conversation with this person about 9-11. It was very difficult to stomach what God is saying about human beings. When God says you're not allowed to lament your dead loved ones, we think, Well, that's crazy. Well, like why why no, I'm not that doesn't make sense. When Jesus says it's easier for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, they say, well, he must be talking about something much bigger than an eye of the needle, because obviously rich people should be able to get to the kingdom of heaven easier than that. Or when he says, anytime you think something wicked of your brother in, in your mind, then you're murdering him. Well, he doesn't really mean murder. People can't stomach it. People can't stomach it. No one can. And Jesus knows this. That's why it's sleight of hand when he says, you're all going to be scandalized, because everyone is scandalized. If you're being scandalized by this teaching, it means you're a biological human being. That's all it means. Because no one can accept this teaching. People want to think that they're the exception, that they can actually accept this, just like Peter. Peter stands in for the self-righteous person who's reading this, who says, well, that couldn't happen to me. I mean, actually, it just makes me think about that hymn, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. You know, this song. No, you weren't there when they crucified my Lord because no one was there. Everyone abandoned Jesus. You weren't there. No one you know was there. None of the disciples were even there. The only people who were there were the centurion who was forced to be there because his commanding officer said you have to be there. Those are the only people who were there. People naturally react to scripture with self-righteousness because otherwise you have to accept you're wicked and you're not interested in following Jesus. As someone who likes to think of themselves as a follower of Jesus, this doesn't make sense. So you have to give up your own identity in order to accept this teaching, which Peter clearly here is struggling with. Peter said to him,
1: Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. This is heaping coals on your own head. This is self-condemnation. This is also a classic theme in scripture. The character in the story condemning himself with his own words, and then all of the other disciples following suit by echoing Peter's words. They are condemning themselves. Even as a kid, I understood this, Richard, when I understood nothing about the gospel. I understood that in the most basic sense, the scattering of the sheep was a reference to the followers of Jesus running away when he was put on trial and executed. So we know they're all going to run away and betray him. The whole thing is going to fall apart. But that's the truth of church life also. That's the truth of religious life. And the illusion of a healthy church community or a healthy religious community, as you explain in your exegesis of Hosea, it's fake. That's why God isn't interested in the illusion of our rituals, because they're a form of self-delusion. You think because you dress up in beautiful clothes and sing beautiful songs and make beautiful fragrances that you're beautiful? You think that's what God wants from you? And you build buildings? You think that's what God wants? And if you have those things, then the sheep aren't scattered? The betrayal is there whether you succeed in building something worldly or not. The difference is, if you succeed in building something that covers your sins, then the destruction, whatever destruction comes, isn't for the forgiveness of sins, and the gospel is voided. And instead of you being destroyed, somebody else's for the upbuilding of your self-justification. Everything is on a scale. Everything comes at a price for every stone that we lay someone suffers. I'm not speaking symbolically. Right now, every watt of electricity that we use to produce this podcast comes at a cost for the poor. That's not hyperbole rich, that's a fact. And so we better be darn sure that we're not wasting what we use. And we better never take credit for what we build. That's why the only thing that's rational is the very thing that seems irrational to us which is the destruction of the temple that is preached against us in the gospel, where the Lord of hosts strikes down the shepherd and scatters us. Specifically the 12, he's not scattering us. But again, it's literature. We have to hear that it's the body that's being broken and then feel uncomfortable when we talk about our church being the body of Christ.
0: The beauty of this teaching is that Jesus is going to reappear in Galilee and there are going to be some people there who never heard of Jesus before, and they're going to hear him. They'll say, okay, yeah, we're going to do it. There's going to be some obedient people who were never scattered. It's going to happen. But it's going to happen in spite of the disciples, or maybe even thanks to the scandal of the disciples, because that's how Jesus is broken. Jesus is broken because no one can follow his teaching. Now, no one can follow his teaching? Well, I don't know, because in the house of Simon the leper, there was this woman who seems to have anointed him for his burial. There could be people who are ready to hear this teaching, but we know that the disciples are not, ironically, the ones who've been listening to this teaching all the time. So the ones who are on the inn, their doom, their judgment is to be scattered. We always think when we see a church fold and the members go this way and that way that the church has failed possibly, or we could think maybe it succeeded. Maybe the people were sufficiently scandalized by the teaching and the body was broken, but that body is broken so that others can learn. That's why Jesus has to go out broken and resurrected to teach in Galilee. And hopefully some of these disciples will follow him out. He doesn't say, follow me there. He says, you want to find me? I'm in Galilee. And he leaves it there. It's up to them to do what they're going to do after they're scandalized by him, after his body is broken by the Gentiles. We'll see where they end up.
1: Thanks very much, Dr. Benton.
0: Thank you, Father. You've just
1: heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening.
0: The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.